Heavenly Features is brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions. Hey, Kim here. Uh, just a content warning at the top here. Uh, we do talk about suicide, depression, alcoholism, and we do touch on sexual assault. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, the weekly podcast where your hosts Sophie and Kim Hey, how's it going? get together to talk about films. Each week we take it in turns to recommend a movie and this week it was my turn. Yes, it was. Uh, so what is it that you recommended for us this week? So, sometimes I just need to watch one of my favourite films uh, and yes, I was one of those nine-year-olds who loved films targeted at 40-year-old women. Uh, so today we are watching one of my absolute favourites which is 1996 The First Wives Club which is directed by Hugh Wilson and written by Robert Harling um, and based on the novel by Olivia Goldsmith. And yes, I have literally only just realised that I found out that this amazing film is based on a novel. So that book is firmly in my Amazon cart. Um, definitely going to be buying that. Um, so the film stars Goldie Horn as an actress battling time in pursuit of young roles that she's always played. Bette Midler as Brenda, the housewife and assistant to hopeless interior designer. Um, and Diane Keaton as Annie, the neurotic housewife and mother. So they are reunited after a friend's suicide um, and they soon learn that each of them are being divorced for a younger model and band together to seek revenge on their husbands and ultimately give support to other first wives out there. Now I've mentioned our three main leads but this film is absolutely crammed full of fabulous talent. So there's Stockard Channing, Maggie Smith, Sarah Jessica Parker, Heather Locklear, Victor Garber, Elizabeth Berkley giving a performance that is not that far off Naomi Malone in Showgirls. Um, there's also Dan Hedaya, who I know primarily as Cher's dad in Clueless. Um, <laughs> uh, Gloria Steinem's in there for a moment. J.K. Simmons uh, is one of the mafia people. Uh, so I also, and I also literally only realised in this viewing um, that Billy fucking Porter is on the soundtrack with the most 90s ballad ever, which I love. I absolutely, I had no idea he had a recording career in the 90s. I thought he was on Broadway and then he's come to TV and come to more prominence. But apparently he did lots of 90s ballads and I'm here for it. Uh, so whilst the premise of the film might appear vicious and malicious, it is anything but that. It's about women banding together to be treated with respect and dignity, whilst also standing up for themselves and creating great bonds of friendship. The film satirises and comments on the way that society and the patriarchy patriarchy, treat women, especially older women, and the pressures that women face being professionals, mothers, wives, and going through the process of aging. Um, this film is like a giant hug for me, um, and I had the best time watching it. So Kim, um, what I want to know, is this a film that you had seen before? Uh, yes, I have seen it before. Definitely not anywhere near as many times as you. Uh, I've only seen it a couple <laughs> of times before this watch, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, I loved revisiting it and I I think it is one of those ones that you get something new from every time um, as much as obviously I don't have as much experience of it uh, as you do I definitely got a lot more from it this time than previous times not saying I didn't love the previous times but you just pick up on new bits every time you watch it uh, and it's it is it's such an empowering funny like beautifully shot film i just i yeah i think it was really well done and i i very much enjoyed laughing all the way through it <laughs> it's got so many fun quips in it and it's so jam-packed full of schemes and different kind of uh subplots and all different things that are going on because we've got to follow the three main leads 
and each of their exes and how they're getting their comeuppance. Plus, we've got, um, you know, their friendship going on as well. We've also got the death of their close friend. Um, we've got all sorts of things to do with like, so Elise and her acting career and how she's um, kind of aging out of the role she previously had and her addictions to alcohol and to plastic surgery as a way to kind of cope with those pressures. There's so much going on and sometimes it is really hard to, uh, it's not hard to follow the, um, the plot when you're watching it, but I have a feeling I'm gonna have a tough time getting everything, every single detail in this um, kind of review, in this kind of chat. Um, certainly I'm not gonna get it in order, so I do apologize in advance. And if you haven't seen this film, go and watch it now, because it is so good. Um, I definitely watched it a lot with my mom, and I think I watched it with my sister quite a bit as well. It was one of those ones we had on VHS and got it out all the time. Um, but I must admit, I forgot the way that it started. Because um, it starts with a graduation of four young women. Um, they've graduated college and they are about to go out and start their lives and they are great friends and they promise to stay in touch and be together. And then it has this really stark tonal shift to one of the girls, uh, Cynthia, who is played by Stockard Channing, looking fucking fabulous in uh, this kind of white negligee and a big off, you know, fuck off uh, fur coat, which I'm anti-fur, but um, I just like to pretend that it's not real. Um, <laughs> so it's just, it's such a glamorous look though, isn't it? That kind of big fuck off Betty Davis style fur oh, coat. Oh, it really is. Like you, you <laughs> cannot walk in wearing something like that and not make an entrance. Exactly. And she's in this amazing townhouse or penthouse. Um, very drunk, unfortunately, because she's very lonely and very sad. And sh she's in a place of um, emotional instability because all over the newspapers is news about her husband, who she had used her connections um, and her power uh, you know, powers in the world to lift him up and help him become successful. And as she has got to a point where um, she might, you know, need him more than ever um, going through, uh, you know, the, the tougher times of, of getting a little bit older sometimes. He leaves her and leaves her for a much younger woman and um, it's all over the, the tabloids and she chooses um, to take her life. And it's really sad. Uh, Stockard Channing right from the beginning just gets me. She has hardly any lines. She has hardly any screen time and she just gut punches you straight away i mean she is incredible <laughs> she really is i just i'd forgotten though how depressing the beginning of this movie is <laughs> yeah it's, so i do apologize <laughs> it's one it's uh and when i was looking at this I, I it reminded me very much of the uh beginning of scream uh with drew barrymore like because i was like oh there's stockard channing there's a big name uh and then i'm like oh and she's not in the rest of the film and it very much yeah. was reminding me of screen and they came out like the same year in 96 so i was like oh that's that's like a like interesting little whatever they were trying in 96 to like kill off yeah. huge names but uh yeah i it was obviously it was heartbreaking watching her also it really drove home how how far we've come and yet how far we have to go with 
what age is represented like for for women as opposed to men like it's it obviously if we're talking very much the binary here they're all like 45 and the men are the men are obviously like probably a little bit older than that and going off and starting like all this new life and having the best time and the women are like oh they stole the best years of my life and like my life's over now i'm like 45 you're a fucking baby like (laughs) jesus yeah, it's really sad how women get to a certain age in, in this film, but I guess possibly in life as well, where they have been bombarded and told that they are now unattractive, mm-hmm. useless, not desirable, you know, that they have are only worth for certain things, like maybe raising children and things like that. They're not worth their own independence, perhaps. There's so many kind of messages that get sent to women in general in society that can really damage uh, a person's mental health, a person's self-esteem and self-image. But particularly women, once they start to get older as well, um, just tend to get disregarded and and not really get championed for the great things that they're doing. Oh, absolutely. And like, I remember talking to my mum about it years ago, like years and years ago. And she's like, she's now in her 60s and still like just as young as she was to be honest when she was in her (laughs) 30s like she puts me to shame uh but she so when she had me she was 33 and they were telling her like when she got pregnant she they they called her a geriatric mother yeah and i'm like so she's the same age i am now when she had me and i'm like oh so if i do ever want kids not that i would ever want to give birth but like (laughs) If I have kids, uh, no, no, absolutely, and it's a beautiful, amazing thing. And I like, I like my niece at the moment is pregnant with twins, and I could not be more excited to hear all about the twins like wriggling around and stuff. Like, I love pregnancy, just not for me. But like, so if I was to have kids now, I'm like a geriatric parent. I know it's crazy, isn't it? It's mad. I'm still a baby. I don't know what's (laughs) happening. I think nowadays, more than ever, we are starting to realize that we don't have to achieve certain things by certain deadlines that we we and society have told us that we need to i think more so than ever people are happy with having children later or uh buying houses later or whatever or even if they want to buy a house i think some of the things that we've been told all our lives are starting to get dismantled a little bit um which i'm happy i'm happy to see I think a lot of the dismantling there, though, like, hopefully is some of it is the, like, society changing, which is fucking great. But I think a lot of it is inflation has gone up so much and wages haven't that we're all fucked and can't afford kids or houses. So we're like, oh, we're just well, there in a is few that. years. <laughs> there is that, yes. <laughs> but you know who doesn't struggle with money issues? These fucking women, because they're very fucking privileged. Um, So we get to see their (laughs) amazing houses. So we go from, uh, admittedly, a depressing scene, but also Cynthia has an amazing penthouse. Um, I was admiring that, um, you know, around Stockard. Um, But then we go to uh, Diane Keaton's character, Annie, and she has this amazing kitchen. Can you imagine that kitchen in New York? It must be worth so much money, that land fucking hell unbelievable like the amount (laughs) of money that these women have is i know shocking shocking um but we we get to see her she's comes in and we get introduced to her and the dynamic and her situation very easily because she comes in and her adult daughter is there and she says oh my god you've been hanging out with that man yes and she (laughs) and um 
Diane Keaton has to be, well, he is your father. Um, it's, it's, so it's it like... was the most perfectly <laughs> delivered line. Because you don't expect it. Like the mum walks in and is all like, obviously stayed out overnight. And the daughter's like, well, where have you been? You've been hanging out with that man. And you just do not expect her to be like, well, he is your father. (laughs) Exactly. It's just so perfect. Yeah. So they are trying to reconcile, I guess. They're working through their issues. Um, they're They're going to therapy. But we also see here quite early on that Annie has, you know, quite significant self-esteem issues. Um, and her daughter, bless her, really does stand up for her. And they have a really natural way of talking to each other. So Annie is just like, I know what this is. I know why you're behaving this way. Is it a boy? And her daughter just has like the most casual outing. I absolutely loved it. She's just like, actually, I'm a lesbian. Mum, I'm a lesbian, but, but don't tell daddy. I want to wait for a good time, like Father's Day or Christmas morning. <laughs> because <laughs> she hates him that much and he she knows that he won't take it very well absolutely i just firstly oh my god i <laughs> wish i could have come out that casually like how <laughs> epic and also like it really is heartwarming and heartbreaking to see them because like annie just blames herself for absolutely everything that is going yeah. on with everyone not just with her with everyone she blames herself for everything and her daughter is clearly a like young, empowered female who's like, no, fuck that. Like, it's clearly daddy's fault because, let's face it, it fucking is. Um, like, I just, I yeah, I loved their dynamic. It was, it was a beautiful dynamic to watch throughout the entire film. And I think that that opening scene really set it up well. Yeah, I think what's nice to see with Annie is that um, we see that she actually does have tremendous support. She has a slightly overbearing and controlling mother, but they also have a really good rapport with each other. She has a really supportive daughter. Um, You know, they have a really good relationship as well. So she doesn't need Aaron, her husband. She doesn't need him in her life. She's got so much already there. And clearly she has uh, enough money so (laughs) well that too which is always a nice uh like comfort blanket to lie down on your on your bed of like hundred dollar (laughs) bills i know right i need to win the lottery seriously (laughs) um (laughs) but um yeah it's just really nice to see that she has that whereas we that next go to elise and we see that she's about to get some plastic surgery and she's obviously not coping with aging and being in the film industry very well because she's she's perhaps having a little too much uh, because she wants to have more filler put into her lips um, and her plastic surgeon actually says if I give you one more facelift you're going to be able to blink your lips oh it was such a funny line the, like the delivery was great <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's such an amazing quip isn't it and um, so we see that she's got you know that kind of issue and then she comes out with these ridiculous lips like massive kind of duck lips um <laughs> which are just insane and so funny. Um, It's like a caricature of what you might expect somebody who has a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of plastic surgery to perhaps look like. Trying to keep up with the Hollywood beauty standard so that you're not playing your age. Like Exactly. Yeah, and especially also, to be honest, the lack of roles for women of, quote, a certain age is shocking. So you can understand why her as 45 year old would want to still be playing 20 year olds it doesn't work but yeah i mean i'm gonna completely misquote this but she says at one point in the story there are three roles for a woman 
there is being like the young attractive person there's a district district attorney or whatever yeah and then there's um like somebody's mother or somebody who's old yeah like you don't have like somebody who's just aging gracefully and being empowered which again i think is is something that is changing slowly uh yeah we see so many more roles for women and i think a lot of that is because there's a lot more women behind the scenes which is about fucking time but it like it is heartbreaking to watch this woman who's poured her entire life into her career and is like mm. the only role i will be offered from now on is some bit part as a mum yeah and it's goldie fucking horn yeah so she looks phenomenal <laughs> like don't get me wrong i probably wouldn't cast goldie horn now in a high school role but like no yeah it's about having sizable and meaningful roles at different ages exactly. in a person's life that's what it's about it's not about saying oh yes the 40 year old should still be playing somebody in high school or somebody in their 20s it's about saying you know there should be attractive desirable accomplished uh, roles for people to play at different ages of their career yeah because imagine if we didn't have those roles now like for the likes of like fucking Meryl or like it's just ridiculous yeah. to think about, like, yeah. and, and and there's still such a limited amount. There is, yeah. It's, it's 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 such a shame. But we also see that Brenda herself is kind of got locked into this particular lifestyle. She is very much the mum of the group. She still has a young child, um, who she is trying to encourage to study for his uh, bar mitzvah. Uh, she's. A little bit kind of self-loathing she obviously has body issues because she has pictures on her fridge of of overweight people to try and stop her from um eating too much um she is finding things financially difficult because her ex is not giving her the money that she, you know is needed to care for her son the money that she helped him get as yeah. well so yeah. you know really fucked it's a lot of these kind of women who are building up the careers of their husbands and then they get dropped when they reach a certain age for the younger model or for you know um because they've got to a, a certain age they know they're no longer wanted um and it's just it's really sad but it is something that does happen to people um and it's not just that sometimes relationships fall apart because people they change and they grow over the years but sometimes it is something as fickle and as shallow as i no longer find you attractive because you've gotten old yeah well then that's also another like casualty of the unrealistic beauty standards that society have put on us through the likes of magazines and hollywood and porn where you're meant to have this old man who's this still this sex symbol with these 20 year old women and we're like 20 year old women are meant to be like oh my god he's so attractive like yeah and it's like no what like like and i'm not saying anything about like you have to date your own age i'm all for age gaps that's absolutely fine look at uh holland taylor and sarah paulson beautiful (laughs) couple but when you drop someone because you no longer find them attractive because because of their age is such bullshit because if you're that shallow that the only thing you ever liked your spouse for was her young looks what the fuck yeah oh definitely Definitely. Um, so they all are reunited when they go to Cynthia's funeral. Um, so initially they don't recognise each other, but um, Brenda is there with her interior designer friend guy, who she kind of works for, I think, um, Duarte. And uh, she uh, comments because uh, on Cynthia's ex-husband because he turns up with Heather Locklear, the new wife, um, and... 
they go and sit at the front of the, you know, on the front pew. And she says, um, the vampire Lestat and Louis. And it just took me back so much because the 90s was so about Anne Rice and the vampires and um, all that sort of stuff. And also so homoerotic. Um, yeah, so I just really, oh, I loved it. And the idea that, you know, he is you know being the bloodsucker of taking all of her youth while she has it and she's being the bloodsucker for taking all of his money um and you know marrying him probably because he is a man of wealth and power um and that's like probably the reason why they've gotten married is is just such a great way of summing it up whilst also having such a 90s freight like yeah uh reference i loved it so much absolutely and we are definitely gonna have to cover uh the interview with the vampire because oh my god what a film oh for sure i haven't seen it in a long time as well so i'm I'm excited to revisit that for sure um yeah i loved i loved that reference i like that made me (laughs) laugh out loud i was like that's such a great way of describing someone like because i hear people always like saying like about people or not always but i hear people before saying about like people being vampires like sucking the life out of people but to make a very pointed like 90s reference yeah like i just was like that's perfect (laughs) this film is so 90s centric and i love it this film loves mentioning that it's the 90s as well it loves it so much and so many the references obviously are from the 90s because it was it was made in the 90s uh the fashion is so i i mean it is my perfect film in so many ways (laughs) because you know i love that decade yeah you're you're stuck between the (laughs) 90s and the 40s so (laughs) But uh, <laughs> they all meet up anyway. Brenda, Elise and Annie, they all meet up and reunite and they decide that they're going to go for lunch uh, together uh, just to kind of catch up and everything. And what I really liked is is initially they are all just lying to each other. They're saying, oh yeah, everything's fine. Everything's great. Lying about how much plastic surgery they've had and all these sorts of things. Well, it's so clear with those lips. She's had none. <laughs> well, of course, exactly. Um, but uh, then they all start to have a, a little bit of a drink. And I like that their drinks, I hadn't really noticed this before, but their drinks kind of represent them a little bit yeah. because Annie gets the Virgin Mary. So she's more of like the prude and more of the, the sensible one. So she gets the one that has no alcohol in. And then uh, Brenda gets uh, the Bloody Mary because she's on a little bit more of the vulgar side, a little bit more outrageous in that way. And then Elise is just like on the rocks, vodka on the rocks, because she's just out there. She's an alcoholic, but she's also out there uh, over the top in every way. Um, And so she's just kind of straight as you see, you know, you get what you see um, with her kind of personality. So I hadn't really noticed that too much before. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I kind of really liked that that sort of represented them a little bit and their dynamic. And it connected them all with the like three drinks that are all vodka based. Mm uh yeah i like because cynthia also was cynthia was also clearly drinking vodka when she uh was in that emotionally um unstable place where she took her life yes so it kind of is also a connector that they all are you know drinking the similar drinks uh to each other shows their bond and so as they start drinking and the walls start kind of coming down they start revealing things brenda says that she's uh you know getting a uh, getting divorced or is divorced uh because her husband has found a a younger woman and that suddenly she's holding him back because she won't go roller roller skating which was such a like 
it's such a weird thing, but also so you can see that actually being a thing. Like, because he had a midlife, he had a midlife crisis, so that is the kind of thing you might do in a midlife crisis. Though I cannot see Morty doing rollerblading. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. But it's one of those things yeah. where maybe, maybe he did in his youth, and he's now like, oh well, you stopped me from doing this because you won't go rollerblading with me. And maybe he did it like maybe. twice as like a child, and is just throwing anything out there because he feels like his youth has been wasted. Uh, yeah, and that's why he goes for a younger woman because he's trying to regain some of his youth. But I can't see Sarah Jessica Parker going rollerblading. <laughs> no, but she's a lot younger than than yeah. him or for, than the amazing uh, Bette Midler. So, yeah. like, I can kind of get that he's latching onto anything just because he's having a midlife crisis, as opposed to actually thinking anything through. Like, you know when you're yeah. in the middle of, like, some stupid argument and you throw out some random thing that then you're like, oh, God damn it, why did I bring up rollerblading? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. Uh, we also learned that Elise, uh, she was married to, was he a producer? Or something like that. Uh, he's yeah, somebody who yeah, was, yeah. like, making funding um, f- uh, films. And um, that he has left her because, for, for a younger model, literally a younger actress. Um, and then... Annie is still a bit more uptight, maybe because she's not had any alcohol. And because she thinks that everything's her fault and wants to have this perfect, like, yeah. look about her, I guess. Yeah, so she's saying, like, oh, no, we're okay, we're okay, we're okay, it's fine, but we are separated. Well, even um, before she says that, she's uh, they're like, oh, how's everything going with your life? And she's like, oh, yeah, you know, everything's great. My husband's great. Uh, about her daughter, she's like, lesbians are great nowadays. Like, <laughs> obviously trying to yeah. sugarcoat everything. Well, it's the 90s, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and so they all start laughing at her because she, I guess, uh, because they can see that she's holding on to the, de- the delusion that her marriage is going to be saved. But really, they think she's just like us. Yeah. She's just as we are. She's just not got to the place where she's willing to accept that yet and willing to move on. Again, it was another nice connection between the three of them. Well, yeah. the four of them, if we include Stockard, which we always should. Yeah, we then get to see that um, Elise not only has this asshole of a husband, Bill, played by Victor Garber your love of your life oh my god I love him so much (laughs) I know you do he plays a dickhead so well like he plays this arrogant (laughs) guy that you would want nothing to do with so well and then you like Mm. see him in real life and you're like oh you're just the sweetest man (laughs) he's just so talented Maybe that's why it's so easy for him to play it because it's such um, an opposite of of his natural personality. Yeah, he does it so well. But then he also plays a lovely man so well. Like, he's just perfect. I love him. (laughs) It's almost like you're saying he's a good actor. Oh, well, yeah, I think he might be. Does he have the range? still out. (laughs) Does he have the range? I think he has the range. Um, so then we find out that he is, uh, obviously he's divorcing, um, Elise, but he's also suing her for alimony, um, saying that she got her fame because of him and therefore she owes him money because of, she's, the only reason she is where she is, is because of him. Well, we all know it's actually the other way around. (laughs) Well, what I like is that the, um, his divorce lawyer mentioned some of the productions that, um... Elise has been in so uh, she says like the marriage between my client and Miss Elliot uh, resulted in many successful films including Inner Urges Human Instinct and my personal favourite Animal Nature in which he played an extremely sensual veterinarian (laughs) (laughs) 
it's very much like the crows have eyes three the crowning like it's, a, it's <laughs> it is. for sure that sort of like cheesy it's very moira rose 100 percent. like <laughs> and i love it i'm so on board for it <laughs> And also, like, this is the 90s, so you can imagine when um, Elise is meant to be maybe in her prime for her career, as she might have thought of it, maybe when she wasn't being the most successful or most desirable, was probably in, like, the 80s, maybe even the late 70s, which would have been around the time of the kind of porno chic films and stuff, so a very kind of highly charged sexual um, pushing boundaries on what you can put on film um which isn't a porno um (laughs) so you know you can see that that maybe she's in those sorts of films like body heat that sort of thing yeah Um, oh it's it's almost like advertisers think that sex sells so weird i know right i know but i just love the sensual veterinarian (laughs) (laughs) yeah i thought that was so beautiful it was amazing (laughs) oh dear and yet she's then confronted by the fact that she meets with a um playwright who uh, she wants to play the role of Monique in his play, and he has it in his, in his mind that she instead is going to play Monique's mum, which is obviously is it a just play? I thought it was a film. Or maybe it is a. I oh it was yeah, a maybe film. it is a film. I think you're right. I think it is a film. Sorry, yes. Um, so she's going to be Monique's mum, and he says to her right in front of her, "This is going to be great." Elise Elliot, the crypt keeper. She's like forty two. <laughs> I was both shocked and so on board with that like, <laughs> like not because it's accurate but just imagine the gall of sitting there and being like so i really want you to be in my film uh, i want you to play the mum oh you thought you were gonna play the daughter no no you're the crypt keeper like it's <sighs> just oh but it, it's it's a funny way that it's said because it gets it makes me laugh every time not because it's a nice thing to say or that it's remotely but true be- because it's so ridiculous that she would... It's, it's Goldie fucking Horn. Um, yeah. You know, in her 40s, still looking amazing. Um, wearing lots of leather trousers. And, and like, <laughs> it's workout gear that's, like, skin tight. And I'm yeah, like, and damn. She fits so many of society's beauty standards. Yeah. Of what people say is, a, you know, is traditionally attractive. That it's insane to me that she could ever be considered like somebody who's meant to be old and haggard. I know, um, I know. But it also highlights, you know, what maybe women of certain age in in the film and, and you know, acting um, profession, what they might hear once they hear, get to a certain age. Well, it's, yeah, it's usually when you hit like 30. <laughs> like... Yeah. But then the irony that you can be like 28 and playing an 18 year old still, it's like it doesn't work. I don't understand how age works in Or you <laughs> in can Hollywood. be like a 75 year old man dating a 20 year old in, well, in a God, film yeah. and people are meant to believe that, that you met and fell in love at the same like, oh, you happened to go to school together, did you? Like, it's just such bullshit. The thing is, as you said earlier, there's not a problem with age gap relationships on film no, or in not real at life. All. The issue is when it is like that's the only way that, you know, it, it becomes a pattern where Sean Connery is always going, or Cary Grant is going out with fucking Audrey Hepburn when he's 50 and she's like 25 or something ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's like this is not like, an, you know, a normal thing considering that 
he, in every, all of his films, as he got older and older, he always had really young... And poor Audrey Hepburn. She she got, you know, cast with so many amazing actors who were all about 50 or 60. Yeah. Which, Gary Cooper. Like... Uh, Cary Grant. There's just, like, loads of them. It's just... But then it's, Even like, Gregory Peck. It's such a societal norm for it to be that way around. I but know. if you have That's an older, uh, older woman, it's like, oh, she's a cougar. Like, oh, like all of this. And I know, obviously, if it's younger, she's the money grabber. But notice in both those scenarios, the woman is, quote, the problem. Yeah. Like, either she's a predator, uh, like a cougar, going out after these young pups, or yeah. she's only with him for the money. Like, yeah. not, what's he seeing that child? <laughs> like, Well, we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> we geez. sure will. Oof. Um, but yeah, so then we go on to, we meet um, uh, Aaron, who is Annie's husband, and he is such a fucking manipulative creep. So Annie's looking like she's going to have this amazing um, evening in with her mum, uh, who is a sassy little bitch. Which I, I would so replace Annie in that situ- situation. If she wanted to oh, go that out... pasta looks amazing. I'd be like, yeah, I'll, I'll cook pasta with your love. Like, <laughs> Yeah. It looked like a, a fantastic evening is what I'm saying. Want to start a nice age gap relationship? <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> um, you could be the new Sarah Paulson. And <laughs> oh, my God. That's the highest compliment you could ever pay. I love yeah. her. But the, um, yeah, so she gets, Annie gets this phone call and um, Aaron is asking her out for a date. And she's, you know, all her hopes are up. She thinks this is an opportunity for reconcilia- reconciliation. She puts on this fucking amazing suit looks amazing um they go to a club they then end up in a hotel room they have sex annie is like oh this is really great this looks like we could be getting back on track well she even says to him like oh well you can move your stuff in yeah and oh and then she's like oh you know if that's if that's what you want like like immediately backtracking and showing that he's got all the power he holds all the cards if we're going to quote uh bet porter (laughs) (laughs) that is such a niche reference if people aren't massive lesbians (laughs) i know (laughs) who knows who knows a bit of research for you there if you've no idea what we're talking about um (laughs) but um yeah so he has set up all this hope in her and then he says i love you but i want a divorce and it's such a manipulative thing it's like getting because it's also, he's like, it's a goodbye kiss, which first of all, it, it's way more than that because they had sex. But also, how much consent can there be if somebody is not going into that situation with the same expectations? I think there is an element of like blurriness there as to how okay that is. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, there's a lot of people who have sex with their ex. Like, it's a very big thing. Like, majority of people that break up probably end up at some point sleeping with an ex. Like, it happens all the time. But if you manipulate someone into... They're in couples therapy, so they're, quote, trying to get back together, even though that's not the case. But she thinks it is. And then he manipulates her into having sex. And he even says about it, oh, well, you looked so hot, what was I meant to do? Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. But, like... Yeah. I'm like, that's so manipulative. So manipulated. Like, even if it was a goodbye kiss, that you you put your ha- your like cards on the table first. Like, you say, yes. I want a divorce. Uh, thank you so much for our, our marriage. We had a great time. Thank you for, the, like, raising our child with me. 
and can I give you a kiss goodbye? That's how you yeah. do it. It's not fucking rocket science. You don't manipulate someone into bed. And then blindside them yeah. with a divorce. And then what makes it worse? So they've both been seeing the same younger um, therapist. Marcia Gay-Marden, who is but, amazing. <laughs> but they've been seeing um, her separately so they can work on their own issues separately. And it's fully identified that Annie has self-esteem issues. And yet, as this is happening, um, the therapist walks into the room saying, honey, or sweetie, or something like that. Clearly, she's in a, having an inappropriate relationship with her client. Um, and yeah, that takes doctor-patient privilege to a whole nother level. <laughs> like... Well, this time, I, I never really picked up on it, but this time I was like, could she not, could Annie not sue for malpractice? This is totally unethical. Yeah. It's so unethical. Like, my God. I, yeah, I, like, I was watching it like, holy shit. Because I'd forgotten that when I was rewatching it. I'd forgotten it. And then mm. when she walked in, I had the same reaction that I had both previous times, because clearly I have no memory, of like, oh my God, <laughs> like, what a bitch. And yeah. she's there, like, manipulating Annie in therapy sessions. Yes. And sleeping with a patient. It's it's totally wrong. It's yeah. on on so many levels. And again, of course, it's confirmed that Aaron is leaving her for a younger woman, just like her friends' situations as well. And just as Annie is leaving, she has the a most amazing monologue. But she does it at the most high pitch, frantic, um, kind of crazy Diane Keaton way that you possibly could which is um she says I'm very sorry I ever met you and I'm sorry that I allowed myself to love you for all those years I'm sorry I did nothing but be there for you for every minute of every hour and support you in your every move I'm sorry it was beautiful especially because the daughter and everyone has been telling her to stop saying sorry for everything and apologizing for everything yeah and that is like taking the power back of the word sorry because it's not yeah. saying, I'm sorry, I've messed everything up. It's saying, I'm sorry that I've wasted my time on you, you piece of shit. Exactly. And it felt, it was such an empowering moment. It's like the curtain had gone down and she'd really seen him for who he was. Yeah. And it was very empowering for, for her to be able to stand up for herself and say, I'm not putting up with this. I'm sorry. It's a very sarcastic tone. I'm sorry that, you know, you're a piece of shit, yeah. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, it was such a beautiful moment. And obviously, Diane Keaton just delivered it so well and so manic, but it also at the same time, so much power behind it and so composed in a very uncomposed way. Yeah. Like, she just has such range. <laughs> <laughs> she really does. I love her so much. She's She's a fantastic actress. Yeah. You can't fault a single person in this cast. Oh, no, you really can't. You really can't. So then... Um... All of the women received these letters that uh, Cynthia had sent, had her maid send before she took her life. Um, and it's got all this beautiful stuff in there about, you know, how amazing they all are, how Cynthia wished that she had so many of the different kind of personality traits of her friends, um, how she wished she'd stayed in touch, and, you know, whether it's not the fact that her ex-husband has run off but maybe it's maybe it's loneliness that is is the reason why she um chooses to take her life and this brings them all together but also i'd just like to say i would like to point out that her uh, annie's mum does make the the funny quote of oh and i'm such pretty stationary <laughs> which really got me it's like this really 
sad, heartfelt moment where it's just like, oh my God, this is me at my wits end. This is me in such a depressive state, in such a bad place. I'm writing this thing. I'm praising you. I wish we'd stay together. I hope you look out for each other. All this lovely stuff. And it's, it's, like, it's your final oh. goodbye that is also yeah. a final gift to everyone to bring them back together. Exactly. So of course and you're going to do it on pretty stationery. <laughs> exactly. But she's, she's kind of saying like, oh, such a tragic thing on such pretty stationery. Yeah. And it kind of represents, you know, oh, what a bad thing to happen to such a beautiful and, you know, inside and out person. In some ways you could read into it that, that it's like, oh, it could be just a funny quip of, oh, you know, oh, and she used it on such good stationery. Or it could be, you know, Cynthia is such so bad that something so tragic happened to somebody who had so much promise or is so beautiful. Or or the, um like, it looks so beautiful on the outside, uh, like, as in, like, Cynthia's life yeah. looks so glamorous and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside was this depressing, horrible, like, yeah. thing that, like, the depression obviously killed her. Yeah. So it's 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 a hilarious quip, but also it has quite a lot of depth there, yes. which we probably read into far too much and probably was never meant to be there. Um, <laughs> so the so Elise, Annie, I keep wanting to call them the wives. Uh, Elise, Annie, and Brenda get together, and they decide that in memory of their friend, they are going to stand up for themselves. They're not going to become Cynthia's um, and let this ruin their lives. They're going to get back at their husbands um, and they decide they're going to find evidence to bring them down. And Annie decides that she is going to get her daughter involved. Um, and she's going Best to set decision. her daughter... <laughs> she's going to get her daughter involved by having her be a spy at, her, at Aaron's uh, marketing business place. Um and so they go along to uh, a gay bar because they uh, they want they could just do it over the phone, but Annie's like, no, we need to show that we support her. Um, so they go along to this gay bar. <laughs> and first of all, can I just say, you are so Leah Delari <laughs> in this scene uh, because when Elise Elliott turns up in there, uh, she says, "I knew you were gay. I told everyone." <laughs> And I'm not saying that you would out people. No, but God, you never. are because but between conversations between say you and I, you're always going, Oh, they're so hot. I they just have such gay vibes or whatever it might be. But also how many times have I been correct where I've Well, there is that <laughs> years before and then been like, See, hey, what did I say? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, again, yeah. only between trusted <laughs> friends. I would never I would never out anyone. Uh, no. But I am also <laughs> always over the moon when they do come out <laughs> <laughs> exactly and then um annie goes and has this awkward conversation with her daughter because oh my god how embarrassing would it be if you're like trying to pick someone up and your mum turns up uh look mortifying y yes and no like yes absolutely but also imagine your mum bet midler and goldie horn rocking up I'd well be like, if it hell is yes like <laughs> There is that. There is that. Because uh, Goldie Horn is having the best time of her life, and I'm, I mean that. I don't just mean Elise Elliott. I think Goldie Horn was having a great time dancing in that scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then um, Brenda goes up to the bar, and uh, she meets this other woman who's of a similar age to her, who's crying, and she's like, "Oh, I've just got out of this big relationship. My girlfriend dumped me and left me for, for a, a younger, younger woman." woman. And. Brenda's like, oh, that's just like me and Morty and gets out this picture of him from her book and uh, like from her purse. And the woman says, oh, so butch. <laughs> Which was perfect. And also, 
So it just also shows with Brenda still having Morty's fo- like photo in her purse. Like, yeah. Oh, heartbreaking. There's there's something still there, isn't it? Which makes sense because by the end of of the the story of the end of the film, Morty and her are the only couple to have some form of reconciliation by the end. Um, There's clearly something stronger going on there. And I think for him, it's less about him being um, a bad person and more about him going through like in a really emotional time in his life and making a huge mistake. And he, he did hold his hands up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The other guys definitely um, come across as being more of an asshole. Oh yeah, <laughs> than sure. he does. I don't understand so... what either of them saw. I mean, other than obviously it being Victor Garber, but uh, I don't understand what <laughs> either of them saw in them in the first place. Oh, I don't know. But um, Victor Garber, his young girlfriend is played by Elizabeth Berkeley, who you may know mainly from Saved by the Bell and Showgirls. But she is doing, um, and I think this is very much put on. I don't think she's rehashing the. Um, crazy acting choices of showgirls um, because she's so over the top and she has one of my favourite lines in the whole thing which is just, is such a bad line read because um, she's practising this play where she's going to, uh, this film sorry, where she's going to be Monique and she says, I met a man, he's an angel, he's a god, he's a doctor! <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was definitely overplayed so because bad. then Victor Garber in order to sleep with her was saying how wonderful it was. Like, yeah. Again, sorry, it's... sorry to use Victor Garber's name there. His character, not not actually Bill. Victor Garber. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was that was such a funny scene. It was just it was so cringy. And that's it was, what made but it I think so it, funny. It, I think it was meant to be intentional. Oh yeah, I don't for think sure. Showgirls was. Um, <laughs> but I still great film Showgirls, just in all the worst ways. Um, have you seen Showgirls? No. Oh, you need to see it. Do I? I mean, you, you. I don't know if you've sold it to me on that little... <laughs> I think it's a very much a love-hate relationship with that film because it's like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen, but it's also fascinating and I can't stop watching it. Uh, we have probably one of the most iconic scenes is the uh, window washer thingy. Um, I don't know how to describe it, but basically the, the women decide they need to get into... Um, so, so Brenda has uh, her son's bar mitzvah and she meets Uncle Carmine who has mafia links um, and he mentions how Mar- uh, Morty got started in his business by getting um, products that fell off the back of the truck. Um, so he had some kind of connections with the mafia. His, fa- you know, Her family helped him out um, and so that his, his a lot of his ledgers, a lot of his uh, financial books are just works of fiction and so they need to get their hands on to uh, this information so they can use it to blackmail him and to bribe him um, and they know they have to get into his apartment so they have to get Shelley which is Sarah Jessica Parker's character out of the apartment um, and the only way to do that is to treat her like she really is, who she really is which is a social climber and so they bring in the help of one of uh, Elisa's dear friends Maggie Smith who plays this over-the-top kind of it's almost aristocratic but it's not really because it's in america um but she plays like basically like the queen of uh, new york society uh, nobody gets in anywhere without her and so they know that shelly won't be able to resist um being invited for lunch uh to see her and they give her uh, sorry maggie smith gives shelly um this card which has an interior designer on it and says you must get this person to uh 
do your flat over and then you will become like the toast of the town. You will make a name for yourself and she just eats it up. And of course the interior designer is Brenda's boss, uh, Duarte, who's this awful interior designer. Um, and so they get this scheme together where he can get them out of the house or out of the flat so that uh, they can come in and find the information. That was a lot of setup, uh, but I felt like I first of all needed to talk about Maggie Smith because she's amazing in this. And secondly, I needed to tell you how they got stuck upstairs in the office to leading to one of the most iconic scenes in this entire film, which is when they realize that they can't escape and they have to go out onto the balcony. And the only way to get down is to go on, what do you call it? It's kind of like a, it's, a, it's an apparatus used for washing windows. Yeah, I'm not actually 100% sure of, of the term but uh, for it, but it's it's the like electronic lift on the outside of yeah. buildings for window washing. It's not my area of expertise, but they have to get in there and go, you know, uh, that's their only way to get down. And they're really flipping high up as well. Um, and so, of course, they have to do it. Annie is having a mental breakdown herself. She's <laughs> very highly strung. Um, and they get on and they go down and they're going so fast and the adrenaline's running because you don't know if they're going to crash down. And they stop at one at uh, one point and they look in the window and there's this couple who are having sex. And then they're like, oh my God, is that Elise Elliot? And, <laughs> and then they're like, Elise, you look great. And she's like, thank you. <laughs> it's such a good scene. And then it drops um, again. And then they drop again and they literally only just managed to save themselves before they hit the ground. And it, it is one of those moments that adds so much action and thrill into the story whilst being hilarious. Um, and uh, it's oh, so good. Annie can't wait to get off. Brenda's like, can we go again? Um, <laughs> and it's just... oh, it, And at least it's just happy that someone spotted her and thought she looked great. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, but... It's just, it's honestly one of the best scenes of the film. It's so good. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that scene. Also, the like gag comedy, like that sort of like physical comedy, they all do so well. They really do. They, it's like I I I have to say, for me, this is for all of them, and this is going to be controversial. I think their best film, and I I know that's controversial because you know Diane Keaton's been in Annie Hall and Godfather and Goldie Horn has been in Overboard and Death Becomes Her and amazing films like that and I know that you're going to say that Bette Midler has been Hocus, Hocus Pocus. Pocus. <laughs> Hocus Pocus. I, like Goldie Horn and Diane Keaton like I don't have any strong connections to any of their other films in the same way that I do to Hocus Pocus so uh, yeah, Bette Midler for me, her best performance is Hocus Pocus, which also Hocus Pocus 2 coming soon. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I don't have the same kind of nostalgia for Hocus Pocus because I didn't see it until I was much older. I was not a small child when I watched it. I was definitely like, I don't know, maybe 16 or 17 the first time I watched it. Oh, yeah. Whereas I was I was a small child. <laughs> Yeah, so I think like if you if I'd watched it at the right time, I'd have a stronger connection because I have a strong connection to Casper, but I don't have oh, a strong connection I mean, who to this. Doesn't? Yeah, for me, I think it's because they all play off each other so well in this film, and I just love that this film is all about female empowerment and it's so funny. I just for me, this is their best like 
performance because it, it's, it's amazing it feels very nine to five and i don't just mean that in the like yeah f- female empowered comedy which obviously that is but the 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 main three cast together yeah like the you cannot fault their chemistry in both films like yeah. it's just they just work so well together so we get to the auction scene another iconic scene um and one where i am not ashamed to admit i have bet dressed up as uh bet midler in this scene because her in her disguise with the blonde wig and the purple jacket the orange gloves and the little paddle i made my own paddle for my auction um we and had a bet midler night i was gonna say is this just you sat at home <laughs> no 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 we had a bet midler movie night um, and I chose to go as her, not as Brenda normally, but as Brenda in the disguise at the auction, because it's a look with the sunglasses and a kind of metallic lipstick. Loved it. Oh, it was that whole scene. The whole <laughs> scene was epic. I loved the auction scene. Oh, it was so good. Um, and so they, what, what's happened is, um, so uh, Elise has to sell all of her assets um, like that she's accrued during their marriage. Um, to Bill and then he gets half of it so she sells all of it for one dollar to Annie and then Annie is going to sell it so that um, she can buy the advertisement firm from her ex exactly so they're raising the funds so um, they're kind of helping each other out here um, tremendously I mean come on Elise is really doing it but she's also very generous because she gives Bill the full dollar um, so that was an epic she's... scene where she put <laughs> she's the 50 so cent down hot. and just through the other 50 cent down i was like like, you're amazing (laughs) go on have it all (laughs) um but part of what they're trying to do again as a bit of um revenge i guess is uh they are having shelly there with uh with duato the interior designer and maggie smith who i can never remember her name in this she is um so they're sat there and they're trying to get shelly to overbid on everything <laughs> even a japanese plate she pays like 40 grand for yeah oh and i yeah the 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 bit that follows that where they're trying to get her to to pay for this and like someone else's bid and she's just like oh no it's just a plate like i wouldn't get that and she goes oh uh, maggie smith goes oh well i i forbid you to let this plate leave the country and uh, sarah jessica park goes it's japanese and maggie smith <laughs> maggie smith just goes don't they have enough it was just incredible (laughs) like also how quick and smart like i know obviously it's clearly not that hard to outwit sarah jessica parker's character because she purely is just a social climber that's not saying anything against her intelligence but she'll just believe anything she's being told at this point especially by someone like maggie smith's character exactly but the the quick wittedness of maggie smith just being like oh, well, that angle's not working. I'll do this angle. That's not working. I'll jump in with this angle. Like, so yeah. smart. Like, if that was me, I'd just be like, you should buy that. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, so the ladies get together because they are running into a small problem, which is that they have got the evidence against Morty. They've got um, the funds ready to um, take over Aaron's, or, you know, take a, a major stake um, in the shares for... Aaron's marketing company, but they're struggling to find information that's going to incriminate Bill in any way. And this brings out the worst in all of them because Elise has been drinking. um, So this is where her alcoholism is uh, really kind of identified um, at this moment because it comes out quite nastily in this fight. And uh, 
Brenda's not going not going to have uh, Elise talk to her in the way that she is because she is someone who stands up for herself. And then Annie just wants everyone to calm down and, and not really take sides in anything because she lacks self-esteem. But it all comes to a head. Um, but one thing I did like, even though this is such a, a heartbreaking scene in many ways, they still managed to have so much humour in it. So one of the lines that I definitely feel like I should say more in my life is when Brenda says to Elise, I'm saying this with love, compassion, and the spirit of true sisterhood. You are full of shit. (laughs) And I just feel like um, that should be a new kind of phrase for kind of uh, our our current era feminism. Um, (laughs) To be able to speak, build us up, say, you know, we love each other, but you are a piece of shit. Because sometimes you have to say that uh, about your friends to them um, when they're treating you wrong. But... Uh, there's so many moments um, in here that's amazing. Like even when they're confronting Elisa's um, alcoholism, you know, Elise is saying about how she has friends over. She's a social drinker, and Brenda's like, "Who do you have over? Guns and Roses." Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Elise is like, "You say I don't have any feelings," and um, she's like, are "You, who are you saying that to? I'm an actress. I have all the feelings." And there's just uh, so many iconic. I mean, I've paraphrased half of that, but there's so many iconic moments, even though it's such a heartbreaking scene where they are all kind of getting kind of tripped up on petty bullshit um, and frustrations and things they've not actually been able to say to each other beforehand. Um, And it really does tear them apart. One of the the key things that I hadn't noticed before, and this is when I noticed that Billy Porter is on the soundtrack at this particular moment when Diane Keaton is walking out of Elisa's apartment or in out of a car or taxi or something like that and it's called Love is on the Way and it is possibly one of the most 90s R&B style ballads you know with with the full kind of uh chorus back uh, backup singers and he is belting it uh, out there and it's oh, it such a good song i had it stuck in my head for like the last few days and i'm not upset <laughs> yeah i so i I haven't had it stuck in my head, uh, but that's just purely not because it's not good. But uh, I've had "You Don't Own Me" stuck in my head well, on the loop. So, <laughs> but because that's so iconic to this film as well, because it's established that right from the beginning, they have uh, this has been an important song for their friendship. They uh, get together to uh, they're meant to perform it when they're at college, uh, which never happens. They then um, get together uh, in the about you know the mid point of the film um and they sing it together and then at the end we have an iconic scene with, with that song as well which we're, we're going to come back to uh because but they do eventually start to realize that they can find um information out about bill and what they decide to do because even though they've had this falling out uh they come back together because they realize that they don't want to lose each other anymore they don't want to not be in each other's life and they don't want to become Cynthia's yeah well one of one of the things that Brenda says during the argument to Elise is about how the the similarities between Elise and Cynthia and how the drinking is there and all of the similarities Mm. and Elise obviously realizes and comes to Brenda and says I don't want to turn out like that like exactly it was it was a lovely a lovely meeting again exactly and we and she's already been lifted up so much by her friends as well they've encouraged her to move away from films so 
uh, and go go for this amazing opportunity on the stage despite the fact that bill had always said that she shouldn't do um plays um and they encourage her to take take that risk and it ends up being a, a huge success for her and revitalizes her career so she's they've been there for her um and I think she acknowledges that and she also acknowledges that she's going down a, a dangerous path um, and she doesn't want to end up in, in, the, in the sad place that Cynthia did. So they come back together and they realise they just need a different angle when it comes to Bill. So instead of going after Bill, they go after um, Elizabeth Berkeley's character. I can't remember her name in this, but the, act- the young actress. Mm-hmm. And Elise decides to go and, and talk to her and says, you know, if I'm going to play Monique's mother and you're going to play Monique, we need to get to know each other. We need to talk to each other um, and get a bond there so that, you know, it will be more realistic on, on the film. And this is a way of her being able to find that information um, about uh, Elizabeth Berkeley's character. Um, and eventually she's able to prove to Bill that actually uh, she's a minor. She's only 16. 16. She's not 21 as he thought she was. Um, and she manages to get a, a yearbook and a birth certificate um, as well. And she can use this as blackmail because she um, basically says, this is a big deal. This is the F word. Felony. Yeah. Which is worse than what anybody else has done. Other people have done things out of greed but Elise has done, uh, sorry, uh, Bill has done things which are actually criminal. Yes. And so I totally misread that when I was watching it. And I much prefer my reading of it uh, because obviously I don't want there to be um, sexual assault. Um, yeah. So I read it as her making up this uh, whole situation and, and faking the yearbook and faking the... Clearly, I've watched too many heist movies, um, <laughs> and I'm like imagining her there, like, t- like cutting out the passport photo type thing. Like, so I'm like mi- misreading into all of this and much preferring it. And then when when I realised that that was not the case, I was like, I was pretty gutted because I was like, oh, I much prefer it when like they m- like mess this around, and also because they're not using her. Because they they remain friends and close, like the the young actress and um, Elise. So I'm like, I was like, oh man, no, because you should have gone to the police. That should have been a felony charge. Yeah, I think I think the the thing is is nowadays, especially after Me Too, where we are all so much more aware of how it's not just about um, individuals being able to stand up um, and say somebody has treated me inappropriately or um, being having having more confidence to stand up and uh, go to the police about serious assaults that may have happened, uh, but it's about us also providing support to other people as well. So the idea that Elise and and you know the other wives essentially are using this as a way to blackmail Bill, but not at, they're not standing there to actually help another woman. It doesn't read well now. Um. <laughs> yeah, but the rest of the the rest of the film is so empowering to women. It just, like, the way I read into it, I really wish that I could continue reading into it like that as opposed to what it actually was. Uh, Like, I really wish that they just doctored it all. (laughs) Well, because, like, so much of the film does read a little bit like a heist because although they're not going after 
anything um, like like a jewel or, or a bank or whatever like that. They are all using their wits and their brains to come together to culminate these massive um, plans and um, get what they want out of out of their ex husbands. At one point, they they kidnap someone and tie him up in a freezer to like yeah. let him know like it's very much a heist movie i mean there's very dark bits in there as well because as i was about to say brenda manages to take full control over morty's business and says i'm going to pay you a salary i'm going to be in charge of the actual business and you will do as i say because we've got the books and we will go to the police with this and you'll get 10 to 20 years and also or, annie do what i say annie manages to take over the majority share of uh, her husband's uh, advertising company with the help of a con of taking all of the stuff that was Elise's and buying it for a dollar. Like, not that Annie exactly. conned. They all did this. So it's definitely like Together. a heist movie. Um, and like yeah. obviously the most recent female-empowered heist movie that I've seen has been Ocean's 8. And that's very much all women together looking after each other. So I was a bit like, oh, no. No, why didn't they doctor that yearbook and birth cert? <laughs> no, I know. It's, it's just it's just one of those things. I guess that's the only thing I can say that really doesn't age particularly well in this film. I'm willing to over, you know, overcome that personally because I know it's fiction and the rest of the film is so stunner. Um, but <laughs> it's a difficult one. But also what they each do is they say, this is not enough because we don't just want to get our own, not really revenge, but our own empowerment back from you people who have stolen our power over this time what we need to do is we actually need to come together and create a place that is for everyone in honor of our you know dearly departed friend um cynthia we are going to open uh this building that elise already owns they just need to renovate it so the men end up having to renovate this building so that they can open a crisis center but one of the things i really loved is they bring all the men down there and just as they are all going into the office to have this negotiation or um have this conversation annie's daughter is there and as she lets her dad in she says oh by the way because he's saying like this is one of the worst days of my life can you give me a heads up what is going on what am i getting myself in for and she's like oh i don't know i don't know um and then she says because she knows that this is so much better than Christmas Day or Father's Day. She says, oh, daddy, I'm a lesbian. Yeah. A big one. And closes the door smiling because she knows she's got she's got him because he's not someone to take that information kindly, unfortunately. Well, because he's a prick in every sense of the word. Exactly. But because she's such a great character and she's so uh, she hates her, her father so much, she doesn't care, I don't think. She's got her grandma and her mum. <laughs> and she now has her, her aunts, Elise and, and Brenda. So, you know. Exactly. Like, you know. She's doing fine. And Maggie Smith on her side. <laughs> well, exactly. Um, so they renovate this building. They are able to provide so many services for the people, for the women of Manhattan. Um, and they have this big gala. Um, at the end of the story um, and of the of the film um, where we get some lovely uh, cameos. We get Ivana Trump and we also get Gloria, Gloria fucking Steinem in here, just in case you were unsure about whether this film has feminist messages, um, <laughs> feminine empower, uh, feminist empowerment. Um, 
we get Gloria fucking Steinem in this. So it's just like, oh, chef's kiss, chef's kiss. Um, <laughs> and this is where we start to kind of see everyone for kind of, you know, what, where we're going to end up with our characters. So Morty um, comes along and he's brought Shelley and you can see that there are bumps in their relationship and it's not going well. And uh, he says, um, you know, are you not going to come in? You know, why are you behaving this like this sort of thing? And she's like, oh, I'm not Brenda. And he's like, yeah, you're not. As in like, I've realised now what I had and how this is, this is shallow. This is not what I had before. Actually, I, maybe he's even a little turned on by how powerful Brenda's become. Do you reckon? It's I, like oh, a, it's yeah. I definitely an attractiveness. Do. I do, but I also don't think that that's what's drawing him back. I think that I think that that's obviously definitely a turn on for him. But I don't. I think that he actually has realised that yeah. he was with Brenda for like true love. And he then fucked up and had like a midlife crisis and went after someone who purely was after him for status and money. And so he's miserable now. Yeah. And we see actually throughout a lot of the film that he doesn't appear to be having the greatest time in this relationship. Um, So it's, um, it's understandable that by the end of this film, he and Brenda have reconciled yeah if you're gonna have if you're gonna have a midlife crisis i recommend like buying a car or you know shaving your head don't like don't just run off with the first younger woman who wants your money yeah pick up a new hobby you don't have to go that far yeah i hear knitting's great yeah exactly annie on the other hand she uh, aaron says that he wants to come back to her he and the therapist have broken up and she tells him to go fuck himself which is lovely because we get to see that she has the self-esteem to do that. To She's now got the power in that relationship. She does not want him to be in her life. She's moved on. She's in a better place. She does not need him. And then, uh, I mean, Bill is is probably in some ways the worst of, all, of the three of them. Um, well, he is a felon he, after all. <laughs> he is a felon. <laughs> and he also goes outside and picks up Shelley and they basically... Are meant to have kind of gotten together, though he does ask her age, so he's learning. Um... <laughs> well, he didn't. He didn't knowingly sleep with someone underage, which does. Yes, it does make it slightly better. Like he didn't go out to be a predator. Yes, but... it's just it's still illegal. Yeah. <laughs> sure is. Yes, as it should be. Um, at least, at least in the states that you know, at least in New York State, I'm assuming. Because yeah. they have different um, laws, you know, ages of consent yeah. and stuff in, in different states in America. Yeah. But yeah, so um, we get to the end. Everything's gone so well um, and they are about to leave. And this is where we come back to that amazing song, You Don't Own Me. Um, and it's it's just such an iconic song. And they have their own version of like Leslie Gore's song. So uh, they start singing it. They have the dance routine because they remember it from when they're at college. And they start singing the song and it's so empowering because of the message behind it, obviously. It is a song about, you know, you don't own me, you don't get to treat me in a particular way. I am my own person and I get to do what I want. And they sing the song, they're all in full white. Um, But even then, like, they're all wearing white, but I love that they're each wearing something that is very much their personality. Well, one's one's a Virgin Mary, one's a... uh, (laughs) Bloody (laughs) Mary, and one's a vodka on the rock. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, I mean, just try and get Goldie Hawn out of a pair of leather trousers. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, she loves them. So they are singing it and dancing and they uh, end up picking up their coats and going out onto the streets of Manhattan and walking away, singing and dancing um, into the distance, singing the song. You remember? You don't own me. Don't try to change me in any way. You don't own me. Don't tie me down because I'll never stay. And it's just such an iconic end to a, a, a to a film. I feel like I've said iconic so many times because this truly is such an iconic film for me. Um, and there's so many moments in here that I always think about. It's not like I th- think of this film and then go, oh yeah, and there's that one scene in there. I think, oh, there's that bit and there's that bit and there's that bit and there's that bit. And it just brings me so much joy. And I'm so glad that we got to kind of uh, visit this one or revisit this one today. Uh, yeah, I I am very glad you chose it. I had I had such a great time uh, watching it and and talking about it. I just yeah, there's so many there's so many great moments that even though we've like gone over the plot, so even if you've never seen this film before and you've listened to this, go watch it now because oh, we left out so much. Yeah, there is so much. For example, one thing we did leave out is one of my favorite lines of all, done by oh, right. one of my favorite people of all. Which is Victor Garber saying uh, to Elise uh, that you're a vindictive sack of silicone. And that is one of my <laughs> new favourite insults of all time. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. I and just... you know that when somebody gets that reference, you'll be like, I like you. Yes, you get it. Exactly. <laughs> um, although it's me and my brain doesn't work properly. So I'll have forgotten that by tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, I just I'm I'm glad we watched this. And uh yeah man such an empowering film it's so good i i think i hadn't seen nine to five when i was when i was a a child but this was the film that i watched that was just like yes women can do it you know whereas mine was hocus pocus with the three sisters (laughs) (laughs) yeah sure i mean they have perhaps maybe slightly more evil intent in that one um but this was just a film where it's just like yes women can do it you can go out and do whatever you want you know, don't, ex- and also don't let men treat you a certain way. Now, of course, we're saying men, uh, hashtag not all men, um, <laughs> but like the patriarchy and some men will treat people and treat women poorly. And it's like, don't let somebody do that to you. And having that kind of film from such a young age is is really empowering. Yeah, absolutely. And also like what you say there, like don't let people do that to you. Sometimes it's unavoidable unavoidable and by no means are we trying to like victim shame if anyone has Oh no, of course not. But yeah, it's it this film is is one of those like even if it does happen to you, it doesn't matter how strong you are, it can happen to you. And then if you find your people, you can band together and like just yeah. create this empowering movement like they created this amazing building to help other p- women like yeah it's just it's such a beautiful beautiful film beautiful ending and beautiful story so apparently um so this film was very underestimated um by like the like the the film company and everything mm. uh, i think it was paramount i could be wrong there but uh they they thought it wasn't going to be a success at all. And it ended up making about $181 million. 
Um, and I believe that's mainly stateside, so mainly in the US. Uh, so it was a very popular film. I think it made it to number one. They didn't think it was going to do that because they had all the, the big action blockbusters around at that time. So it was very successful. It obviously found its market. Um, but they didn't have the confidence in it to do a sequel. And apparently all of the leads, so Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton and Bette Midler were all on board to do a sequel um, to this, which I would have loved to see. Uh, to see. Um, but they are making apparently a film with all of those three women in. I think it's a Christmas film as well. Amazing. Okay. I am so excited. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that'll be incredible. That'll be incredible. They have, su- they have such good chemistry. So at the moment, the working title is called Family Jewels. And uh, all it says is three women are forced to spend Christmas together along with their children and grandchildren after the man they were all once married to drops dead in New York City in in a New York City department store. So first, second and third wives club here then. (gasps) Yeah, I'm so (laughs) I'm so excited. Bearing that in mind and moving on to next week, what is the film? that you want us to watch next week? Uh, so I have kind of tied in with uh, with this week's uh, film. So I have chosen to do one that uh, is about Joan Jett, uh, because obviously Joan Jett did an amazing cover of You Don't Own Me. Uh, so I've chosen the 2010 film The Runaways, uh, starring Kristen Stewart and Dakota Fanning. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be our pick for next week. You always know how to gay it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you've met me, right? <laughs> I know, but I'm really excited because I keep meaning to watch this film and I haven't yet because I'm such a procrastinator. So I'm looking forward to this one because also I had such um, a Joan Jet phase when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, I so think I'm we all did. To... Like, yeah. What a kick-ass oh, woman. I know. And I really love her aesthetic. Like she's the only person I know that can rock that kind of mullet haircut for like the last 40, 50 years. Yeah, she rocks it so well. Um, yeah, I've, I'm excited. I've only seen it the once. I only saw it when it first came out. So it's been like at least 11 years since I saw it. So oh, cool. I'm excited to to revisit it. And uh, obviously yeah. anything with Kristen Stewart and I'm always excited to watch. So yeah, and I must admit, I don't really know the story of The Runaways. So it should be educational as well. Okay, well, um, I will look forward to watching that next week. And I hope you can all join us. Um, Please let us know if you watched the first Wives Club when you were nine years old. Um, and have you ever dressed up as any of the women? Absolutely. <laughs> come, and let, <laughs> come and let us know on uh, Instagram at Heavenly Features Pod. Absolutely. And uh, if you could rate, review and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, uh, it would be really helpful. Uh, it really does help us out a lot. Uh, and till next week, uh, have a good one. Yeah, bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram at Heavenly Features Pod. You can also email us at heavenlyfeaturespod at gmail.com. And you can also find us at 18maidenlane.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions.